I'm Amber Harper from the Burned In Teacher Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is partnering with the John Maxwell Company to bring interviews like Episode 402 with Jason Stoughton and Episode 403 with Jeff Henderson, and also to make you aware of the awesome leadership event called Live to Lead coming October 8th, 2021 to Atlanta, Georgia. Go to L2LATL.com for more information, and when you go to check out, use the code K-12 to get a special discount. See you there. You know, I've had the good fortune to connect with several representatives from KitCaster, a podcasting booking agency. They reached out to me on behalf of their clients who want to spread the word about their book, their story, their ideas, their businesses, and so much more. KitCaster has been such a pleasure to work with, and I always enjoy working with their clients. Now, KitCaster is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, which is really cool. And and I got to ask you, have you been wanting to tell your story on podcasts? Podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand. If you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, It's time to explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. Go to kitcaster.com slash TLLK12 or go to my webpage at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, click on the KitCaster logo, and apply for a special offer for just the friends of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Kate Eberly-Walker. Kate has more than 20 years of experience leading, advising, acquiring, and investing in education companies. Currently, Kate is the CEO of Presence Learning, and prior to that, she was the CEO of the Princeton Review and its subsidiary, Tutor.com. There is so much you're going to learn today because we're going to be talking about her book, The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. Every leader and manager should read this book and share it with others. Lots to learn, lots to live by. Such an awesome, awesome book. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go... It would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and rated and reviewed the podcast. Could you do that for me? That would be so cool. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmaletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, 
If you buy something, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 gets a commission, and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Kate Eberly Walker has more than 20 years of experience leading, advising, acquiring, and investing in education companies. Kate is the CEO of Presence Learning. Prior to leading Presence Learning, Kate was CEO of the Princeton Review and its subsidiary, uh, Tutor.com, a leading provider of tutoring, test prep, and admission services. Previously, she managed strategy and investments for Kaplan Inc., a large and diversified global education company. Kate has served on several education-focused boards, including Rosetta Stone, a language and literacy company, and, and Prospect Schools, a charter school management organization that educates a racially and economically diverse student body. Kate began her career as an investment banker at Goldman Sachs and received her MBA from Harvard Business School. She lives in New York with her husband and two daughters. Today, we're focused on her book, The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. Kate, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, before we talk about your book, The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. Let's talk about you for a minute. You started out as an investment banker, and now you have had over 20 years of experience leading, advising, acquiring, and investing in education companies. What drew you to the education companies? Funny you should ask. Uh, what, what drew me into working in education was actually my love of newspapers and journalism. So I, I set out, I, I always loved writing and journalism and, um, you know, everything about the news. And I set out to work in that sector and uh, got to know the company, Washington Post Company. They were one of my clients when I was an investment banker and I wanted to go work for them after business school. And I did. And about six months into my time at the company, I discovered this really fascinating business within the post company Kaplan. And, uh, you know, I asked, well, what's, what's happening there? Is there anything I could help with there? And they said, well, it's our fastest growing unit. There's a lot happening in the for-profit education sector. We're buying companies. We're growing fast. We could definitely use you. So, uh, we agreed that the, that Kaplan would borrow me from the Washington post newspaper for maybe a year. And I'd, I'd help out because Kaplan was so busy and, uh, I went over to that unit and I just got totally hooked. Uh, I ended up spending nearly a decade at Kaplan, really studying, you know, companies, education companies all around the world and realizing all of these different ways that, that people were innovating, building new business models, new technologies to educate children, to educate adults, to, you know, provide professional training. I mean, I, I just got really, really hooked on the industry and, you know, all the different ways that, that companies could contribute to the lifelong educational process. So I, I never look back. I still love to read newspapers. So, um, you know, I, I have that, but I never looked back from working in education after that. That's very cool. Very cool. That's uh, it's neat the way, uh, sometimes, you know, how people's careers kind of shift. <laughs> I, mean, that's- I, believe, I always tell, you know, co- college students, graduates talking about, you know, career paths and looking for advice. Like you, you, it's so important to follow 
follow interests and, you know, be open to following where things lead. It might not be what you thought, but you might find something that you really love. Very cool. Very cool. That's, that's so right. It's just, just, I don't know, especially now. I mean, it's, it's so different to uh, um, a long time ago where, you know, people's, the company stuck with them and they stuck with the company forever. Right. And no, there's new, I mean, there's new companies being invented every day, every year. Right. So yeah, you might, you, you might not be able to imagine the company that that you'd be working at in five years. So things are really different. Very much so. You know, you're currently CEO of Presence Learning. Uh, Could you share a little bit about your company's purpose and mission? Yeah, so at Presence Learning, we, we're the leading provider of teletherapy services for K-12 special education departments, mostly in public schools. And so we're partnering with schools to help them make sure that they're able to deliver therapy services and evaluations to all of the kids in their program, which is uh, not easily done. You're, you're, you're looking to find and hire highly educated speech language pathologists and occupational therapists and school psychologists and social workers. And there are not nearly enough of them doing this difficult work in schools. And so presence learning came along now 12 years ago. And we thought, you know, we could keep more of these therapists doing this work, serving these kids, if we found a way to allow them more flexibility and so we built a teletherapy platform. We convinced first, you know, some early innovative schools. Um, now, of course, after the year of the pandemic, we've had pretty much every school has has been convinced to try teletherapy and to see what it's like to connect with students in that way. And in the process, we've we've kept uh, now we, we have over fifteen hundred clinicians who work with us at Presence Learning. Many of them started their careers in schools, uh, but decided at some point along the way that they needed or wanted more flexibility in their lives. About 80% of our clinicians are working moms of school-aged kids. And so, you know, we, we, we offered them a new way to do that work and to stay connected and stay helping these, these kids in school programs. Uh, very cool. Yeah. I was, I was going through the website and looking at that and, uh, and uh, just uh, checking out, I mean, you're a very um, large company and, uh, and I was wondering where you, where you get your clinicians. Cause it's right there on your page. It says, Hey, are you interested? And uh Mm-hmm. I went and spent some time on that page for a little bit. Um, so they come from all over the United States or in other places? All over the United States. And uh, many, many of them, I mean, you know, we, we truly have clinicians who work in every, who live in every state, work in every state. A lot of our therapists will cross license into one or more states. So, you know, you could have someone who lives in Florida, but is serving kids in Alaska. Uh, so it's, it's really all over the country. It's anyone who, you know, wants, who likes engaging online, wants to work from home. And, uh, in, in a lot of cases has, you know, specific hours of the day that she wants to work. They, they come to us and they, they set their hours. Some, you know, some people want to work five hours, 10 hours a week, others want to work full time. And so, uh, you know, we work with them to give them, a caseload accordingly. Very cool. So uh, I got to ask this before, I mean, this is not our main topic today, but I got to ask this mm-hmm. before we go on. If, uh, if you know, a, a school system listening, a, a teacher listening, somebody like that is thinking about trying to get you interested in uh, working with them, the, your clinicians with their school, how did, how did they get started? 
come to presencelearning.com and fill out a form there and we'll give them a call and talk to them. And it really, you know, we, we work with schools in so many different ways now. Sometimes they have a year round caseload that they, that they don't have capacity for, that they need our team to come in and help. Sometimes it's, they, they have one of their clinicians going out on maternity leave or short-term medical leave and they need coverage for a period of time. Sometimes they have, you know, an excessive backup backlog of assessments that they need help completing. So, um, you know, we work with them in all of these ways. We, we actually started working with over, over 400 new districts this past year, um, working directly with their onsite clinicians to give them training and use of our teletherapy platform so that they could do more of their work online. And that's, that's been really cool as well to, you know, see work approaches changing inside the schools and, you know, find ways for them to reduce their drive time, increase their, you know, engagement with kids through tech. So I could talk about this the whole time if you, <laughs> if you like, instead of talking about the book, um, there's, there's tons to say, but yeah, the short answer to your question is any, any school that's interested should find us at presencelearning.com. Very cool. And uh, what you need to think about is um, if we could do an episode just on presence learning down the road. Mm -hmm. So because I'd be happy to. (laughs) Okay, well, reach out to you about that. So good stuff. uh, So today, though, we're going to talk about your book, The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. Uh, What inspired you to write The Good Boss? I I wanted to write this book to to try to really change the work landscape for women. So as I worked my way up and you know ultimately became a CEO, all of these young women would come to me wanting mentoring, wanting advice on what they should do and you know I just I, I heard myself giving advice that was often about, you know, how to how to maneuver, how to adapt yourself, how to kind of work your way through and work your way up. And it just it bothered me and it bothered me more and more as I had, you know, two of my own daughters and thought about the future for them. And I was like, you know, I don't want to keep on teaching women how to, how to change themselves to be successful. I want to teach their managers, their leaders, how to change the workplace to make it more supportive and more inclusive of all kinds of people, uh, including women. So I, I set out to write a book that would be really, really practical, really approachable, you know, start, start at face value, believing that all managers, men and women really want to do the right thing and really want to support women. Uh, but they don't necessarily know how, or, or aren't necessarily aware of all of the small things in the day-to-day experience of a woman that can make it more challenging and difficult for her. So I, I wrote it all down and, you know, I, I hope it's making a difference and it's changing the way people think about, you know, their responsibility to, to their teams and the people they manage. Very cool. And uh, just a side note, as a um, former, uh, you know, I've, I've been a high school principal in multiple, mm-hmm. multiple locations as well, well as a mid-level manager, assistant principal, and then uh, and now I work with a small team uh, to su- serve and support uh, school systems. You know, it's, uh, I, I think it, not only is it, I mean, your title is The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. I think it, the advice works for everybody because <laughs> I mean, yeah. some of the stuff you talk about is like, uh, there's some major, major problematic things that happen out there that uh, 
impact all of us. And I'm getting ready to ask you a question about one of those, but I, I love the way it, it reads and uh, uh, good stuff. I, but uh, thank you. I, I, you know, in the opening of The Good Boss, you talk about running into a colleague and discussing rules of working with a new manager, which you're kind of alluding to there just a second ago. As, as you say, you spent a lot of time learning how to adapt and navigate these managers. T- today, you set the tone. What is something that you always want to remember as, as the CEO? Oh, I think that you, you have to realize that you that that everything you ask someone to do, they're going to feel like they have to do, and they're you know people are going to respond, react, um, and you know to some extent really really orbit around you know the tone that is set from the top. And so if you're you know expecting people to ask a certain way, if you're um, you know if you're rewarding the people people who speak up the most in meetings, or if you're rewarding the people who ask for things and, you know, really self-advocate, you have to think as a CEO, as a leader about, you know, who might you not be rewarding, who might you be penalizing, who might you be overlooking um, because they're not, you know, fitting into the, the, that mold or that expectation that you're setting. I try to be so conscious now in any meeting, any conversation that I'm in that, you know, it's on me to really be watching, looking, listening, and finding ways to bring people in and give them a chance to speak if it's not, you know, if, if they're not naturally of that mold that they're going to dominate the conversation. Oh, that's awesome. That's because uh, that's you know, having run meetings, which, you know, it, there's so many different personalities that you're trying to bring together. And sometimes people will, they'll sit there and go, well, I'm not going to say anything. And, uh, and, you know, primarily it's, they don't, you know, there's so many different, so many different reasons why somebody might just do that one thing right there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because they don't want to be between people and getting the meeting over with, you know, it's like, uh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or you can feel, I mean, I remember feeling when I was younger, you know, I was not, um, you know, believe it or not, I didn't, I didn't insert myself so aggressively. I, I wasn't a naturally assertive or loud talker. And, um, I'd sit in these meetings and I would feel like I tried to say something a few times, but you know, somebody else talked over me or, um, you know, somebody else got to go first and nobody thought to bring it back to me and the conversation moved on. I mean, I just remember sitting in conversations feeling like I had something to say, uh, but couldn't quite get a word in edgewise. And I would definitely disengage after a few tries and I'd actually feel kind of mad and frustrated. Like, well, nobody cares what I think anyway. And, you know, I had to learn for myself over time to, you know, get over that and just really, you know, just really change myself, like I said, to, to get my voice heard. But, you know, I, I think of that a lot now and I'm just so conscious of it that, you know, there, there could well be someone in a meeting, more than one person in a meeting who's actually feeling frustrated that you're not doing something as simple as asking them, you know, what do you think? So, uh, yeah, you definitely, definitely have to be conscious of of different styles. Yeah. That's what, uh, I mean, I I could talk about, by the way, you talked about something else earlier. I could talk about this part for a long time. (laughs) Um, having worked for different bosses and managers myself, you know, it's one of the things that, uh, you know, and I'm a former, um, officer in the army and, you know, different managers there. I mean, when I was a brand new second lieutenant, there were some there were some higher ups that they don't want to hear anything from a second lieutenant. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you basically were expected to uh, sit quietly and take notes and uh, not interrupt. And uh, after the meeting, you know, you go ask your questions that you need to go ask. And, yeah. 
you know, and that's something that's hard to overcome, by the way. That's hard, right. That becomes how you behave in, in conversations and in meetings. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I actually had early on in my career in education, I actually had uh, a leader say to me, uh, um, so what's up, Maletto? You don't have a question or anything like that? And I said, uh, no, sir. <laughs> yes. Really? And I said, well, you really want to. And here's my answer. Do you really want my my question? You know, and. You know, this is mm-hmm. where all this stuff hit home right? when I was yeah, thinking about yeah. this, because that that mm-hmm. that sticks with you for a while, because you also watch behaviors of managers and stuff like this. And if they, you know, shoot the messenger too often. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Not everybody welcomes opinions. Right. Or right. Disagreement. That's not good. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I had one who thought that every time you ask a question that uh, so I got over, by the way. I don't know if getting over it is exactly it, but I've gotten better <laughs> at uh, you practice, right? <laughs> right. You practice a different way. And so yeah. then I had a leader who uh, who uh, thought that you were arguing with him every time that you ask mm-hmm. a question. It's like, and actually said that to me. Why do you argue with me? I'm like, well, I didn't see it as arguing. <laughs> right. Nice. You thought it was just, curiosity, but right. yeah, yeah. It's, there's a lot to these dynamics, and you know, and I I just always keep reminding it's it's there, there's more of a burden on the manager in all of those situations. Like it's it's part of their job part of their responsibility to think about how other people are going to be comfortable or not in in talking. Very much so. Good stuff there. Hey, Steve here. And my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. You know, early in uh, The Good Boss, you talk about women moving up in the leadership path in terms of a child's game, shoots and ladders. Played it many a times. <laughs> um, <laughs> could you explain? So, so my shoots and ladders analogy is that, you know, there, so if you played it, there's, there's a tricky ladder pretty early on where, you know, you think, oh, that's pretty good. I'm going up you know, 28 rungs and you shoot up, but you then realize once you're there, oh, I, I went past the, the real, the big ladder that would have catapulted me to the top. And now I'm kind of stuck over here. And I think that for women, there are, you know, more of those kinds of situations where you're going to maybe inch up a little, and then you're going to, you know, have to slide back down or you're going to, you know, get an opportunity, but it's, actually going to, you know, put you over in a side category and, and you're going to be, you know, sort of taken out of position for the big job, for the ultimate job. And we see this happen in corporations. It's right there in the numbers. I mean, two thirds of all managers are men. 95% of CEOs are men. Uh, we see it in the school sector in, you know, about a, a, only a quarter of superintendents are women. The majority are men. So, you know, we see this, you know, this happen. We all start out equally. We all start out on square one, but a lot of things happen that can set women back along the way. So they never make it to the top. And, um, 
and yeah, one, one of the, one of the things that happened to me at one point was, you know, I thought I was getting this big promotion. I was getting promoted to report to someone who, you know, had a C title, a C level title. And, you know, that was on its face, a big promotion for me, but that person was really not a good boss for me. And he didn't give me opportunities. He didn't, you know, promote me to the rest of the organization. And it turned out to be more of a sidelining that I had to, you know, get myself back out of. It, it's interesting. This is, and this is a very, I mean, everything in this section is very uh, um, intriguing here. You know, that's not the word I want. I mean, it really, it's just, I mean, just, you, you've probably come into contact with it or seen it or, I mean, and it all leads back to your, your title, the good boss, you know, because mm-hmm. there's an opposite. <laughs> and, yeah. And everyone's had, everybody has these stories. That, that's what's been really amazing since I've put this book out is people really relate to it. People have their own stories. They're like, I, that happened to me too, or something like it. And it's on the good side and the bad side there. Yeah. There's good bosses, there's bad bosses. And, um, you know, it's, it's important for everybody to know the difference. So something else that you talk about in the good bosses make a difference is, is that good bosses make a difference. And, you know, we're kind of going there right now. So talk a little bit about, you know, what you really learned through your experience about good bosses making a difference. Mm-hmm. So I really have come to believe through my own experiences that it's it's not enough to just be really good, hardworking, talented. I mean, you, you can be the most amazing employee, but if you get stuck under a bad boss, you, you won't reach your ultimate potential. Like the boss makes the difference. I think that's a, that's a sad truth. I, you know, I, I used to believe, and I think people told me when I was younger that, you know, you just, you just keep your head down and you do good work and people will see it. Um, I wish that was true. I think that sound that sounds very nice, but in, in my experience and the experience of a lot of the people that I interviewed for this book, it's, it's not true. It's, it's, I mean, you do have to be good at your job and hardworking and all of those good things, but you also need that good boss to see it, to recognize it, to give you opportunities to promote you. Uh, that That's what makes the difference, I think, in you know who ultimately succeeds versus who gets stuck at some point in their career. You've got to have that, that, that boss has such an impact on what you know, what direction you'll ultimately end up taking. And that goes to, you know, you might, if you're, if you're considering two jobs and one of one of the jobs on paper looks like the better job, but you really, you know, are drawn to this other boss. I say you bet on the boss every time you go, you go work for the person that you believe is, you know, going to teach you, is going to believe in you, is going to support you. Um, and, and that will win out every time. That's, it's awesome. I mean, and, and it, it really does. It's just really resonated with me because having worked for many that were very good, you know, it's amazing. Everything that you're talking about from, you know, giving you opportunities to um, actually helping you when you're like, everything is going wrong. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> helping you get through those troubling times and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and continuing to uh, figure out how to, how to get you into that, uh, that spot that's going to help you, uh, you know, kind of where your strengths are and, uh, and be able to promote you along those ways. And I, that's, it's so important. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things I tell, uh, I, when I talk with, uh, teachers and people who are pursuing uh, administrative job as well, I, I tell them, don't, uh, you know, remember you're interviewing people as well when yeah. you go to interview. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when you reflect on it later, like, like there are some bosses that I didn't even really realize in the moment, how important they were, you know, you can kind of look back and reflect and recognize, oh, wow, that, yeah, that person didn't have to do that for me. And it made a huge difference. Very much so. That's, that's a cool thing when you, when all of a sudden it dawns on you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah, that, yeah, this one. I, I need to thank that person ten years later. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, the good boss centers around nine rules. The first one is to call her by her name. What are you focused on here? This this is the most literal rule I would say in the in the book, and um, and it sounds really basic when I. When I started writing the book, I said, you know, I have to talk about names and I have to call out the reality that women are called by the wrong name. They're given a nickname that they didn't, you know, say they they use. People use terms of endearment still surprisingly often. Um, You know, there's a whole there's a whole process that you go through uh, if you get married and are considering changing your name, your last name, or don't change your last name. There's a lot of commentary about that. There's a lot of people who, you know, don't, don't remember that you changed your name. I, I, yeah, there's a lot about naming this, this went from, you know, it started out as, I was like, maybe this is, maybe this isn't for the book. Maybe this is just an article that I'm going to write to like, it kept getting longer and longer. And ultimately is the longest chapter in the whole book. And um, it's probably the one that resonates the most. I mean, every, every person that has read the book has, has a story or two about times that somebody called them by the wrong name repeatedly or um you know called it called them honey or sweetie i mean there's this is just really rampant and it's so essential um you know especially thinking of an education audience you know we we talk about we we know the data around how you know kids can disengage in the classroom if people are repeatedly mispronouncing their names or getting them wrong and the same is true in the workplace it's it's a huge distractor and it's very demoralizing if you feel like people don't respect you enough to take the time to remember your name you got that right this this goes into a lot of you know there's a lot of things there i've witnessed or experienced um my favorite being like uh you know the male side of this which is hey bud hey mm-hmm. <laughs> hey guy <laughs> you know it's like mm-hmm. i'm not sure he knows my name <laughs> you know my name right <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like but you know then then you get the other planet which is you know derogatory or possibly demeaning and things like that that uh, you refer to as well and it's it's like uh, you know you think you'd think by this day and time that no one's calling somebody you know honey and sugar and stuff like that so you would think but i I can't (laughs) tell you how often it happens still and and so you know part of what i talk about in the book is not just not just calling out that it happens but calling out the discomfort for someone who you know who needs to decide every time it happens am i going to correct that person am i going to correct them again am i going to speak up and say you know you shouldn't you shouldn't call me sweetheart um and so you know part of the advice that i give to managers is to take on that piece, take on that burden. And, you know, it's way easier for you to correct somebody and say, you know, that's actually not her name or it's pronounced this way or, you know, whatever, whatever needs to be corrected. It's often easier to do that if you're not the person that it's being done to. Very much so, very much so. And it's something that uh, I I see why you spent so long on it and why it's your, 
you know, it's your first rule because mm-hmm. that's, it's very important. I mean, you want to know, you know, in, in education, you need to learn the kids' names and your peers' names and, uh, you know, in, in all the different worlds that we're, you know, part of or work in, you know, it's one of those things that you'd hope that your colleague <laughs> knows who you are. <laughs> I mean, right. that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. And, and the little, I mean, you know, I, I've had a lot of people who I've worked with for a while will, um, you know, call me Katie and it, it, it's very jarring. It's like, my, my name's Kate. It's not, that's a different name I'd ever said to call me Katie. So, um, it, it can really, really be distracting. I have only one boss that is allowed to call me Stevie. <laughs> and he could, <laughs> And he's a great boss <laughs> and he's become a long-term friend, but, uh, long, a long friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I, I, I used to say there's only one person allowed to call me Katie and it's my grandfather nice. um, who has since passed away. So now, now yeah. nobody gets to call me Katie. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have one family member who still insists on that name <laughs> and it's, yes. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a little older now. All right. Can we get rid of that name? <laughs> and, uh, I had this one boss who he'd, he'd say, you know, stuff like, uh, Hey, look who it is. Little Stevie's here. <laughs> I'm like, uh, but he was so fun to work with that he was just fun. So, <laughs> so he's forgiven. Yeah, he's forgiven. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about uh, another one of your rules. You got to tell me. Uh, you got to tell me about rule number five. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring and I know that you will love yours. You got to tell me, uh, you got to tell me about rule number five. Watch the clock. Yes. This, this one is uh, particularly for managers of working mothers and it's about, you know, time, respecting time, the value of time, Um, you know, working mothers more than any other working group are, are highly scheduled. And often, you know, you've, you've got everything down, down to a science. It's, you know, everything's in place, everything's covered, but there's, not much margin for error. I actually liken it to like a house of cards where if you move something, if you, you know, if you start a meeting late and then run it late and, you know, suddenly she's wrapping up at, it could be as simple as 6.15 PM instead of 6 PM, uh, that, that can, you know, that, that can, topple the house of cards. It can topple the dominoes, whatever you choose your analogy. And, um, it can just really throw off the entire schedule because she's got, you know, people who she's got to drop off her child somewhere, or she's, you know, having waiting for childcare to arrive. She's got to relieve the childcare. There's other things that are her responsibility and, you know, women for the most part, not, not always, but for the most part will bear, will be bearing the primary responsibility for those you know, household management 
areas um, when there are kids involved. Uh, you know, the, the ratios there are that, you know, a, a typical working mom will be working another 40 hour work week uh, with childcare and, and household management tasks once she has kids. So it's just time is of the essence. It's tight. And, it, you know, if you don't kind of think as a manager about what you're asking for, particularly when you push those lines at the beginning and end of the day and ask her to come in early or stay late, um, you know, you've got to recognize what you're really asking for then as you've probably created this whole other workflow for her where, you know, if she's going to stay half an hour late, she's got to call, text, you know, ask a favor, uh, you know, somehow get somebody else to cover that half hour. Um, so, you know, I think in most jobs, everybody understands that sometimes last minute changes are unavoidable, but I think there's a lot of last minute changes that are more in just the inconsiderate category where it seems like it's not a big deal and and, you're not really thinking about the impact that you're having on others. So definitely watch the clock, especially the beginning and the end of the day. Very cool. And great advice. Great advice. Uh Okay, I got to tell you, the names and titles of your rules are engaging. All right, they really are. They make you want to, okay, what's this one about? Okay, what's this one about? Mm-hmm. And I'm getting to the one that's most, <laughs> most like that, most different than oh, most, which one. <laughs> most chapters of books. And the, this one goes like this. Rule number eight, be an equal opportunity asshole. <laughs> yeah. You have to take a minute to share. <laughs> Yeah. So this is about, you know, don't don't be too nice as a manager. Uh, There is such a thing as being too nice and, um, you know, particularly being too too chivalrous, I think, is is the is the word here. And so. You know, a woman can tell if if there's a manager who is, you know, kind of ribbing the guys on the team, giving them a hard time, but then has, you know, nothing but polite compliments for for the woman who's working for him. I mean, you, you know, a woman can tell she feels the difference and, you know, you're not really you're not really managing her then people, you know, people do want honest feedback. They want to know what you think of them. And, um, you know, I included this rule because a couple of the you know really good bosses, really important bosses for me in my career were of this archetype. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say it, but they were kind of assholes, but they were equally so to everybody. And I felt like from a, you know, gender equity perspective, they were fair, they were honest, they were direct. I knew where I stood. They challenged me to be better. And, um, you know, never did I feel that they were, you know, expecting less of me or being gentle with me or, you know, hesitant to to give me that feedback. And it, it made me better over time because I was, you know, getting really actively managed and was getting that active feedback. So I do like to give a qualifier with this rule that if you could just be, you know, equally honest with everybody, you don't, you don't have to actually be mean or, you know, be obnoxious. I'm not encouraging managers to, you know, go out and yell at people. Um, But, you know, I think it's a real, it's, it's an archetype. It's a type of manager. It's a, you know, it's, it's a sort of successful profile. It's one type of manager, particularly male manager who might work up this way and be this kind of bolder, brasher personality. And if that's who you are, I think, you know, be authentic to that and just, you know, make sure that, that you're equally so with women and that you hold them to the same high expectations. 
Great advice. Great advice. Uh, let's focus on education for a minute. And uh, you you talked about this earlier, and so I'm going to uh, ask us to discuss this just a bit. Um, here's some data that uh, women make up 76% of the educators in the K through 12 school districts in the U.S. However, only 24% of school superintendents are women. So, what are your thoughts about trying to encourage more women? Um, to make that path or to escape not being able to make that path. I mean, yeah, I think this, this is really important. And, and I mean, those, those, as you say, those are the stats, there's this imbalance between the, you know, the women in the organization and then who rises to the top in leading that organization. And I think that there's a challenge from, from the start for as long as the imbalance exists, there's this relatability question. And I think that, you know, it's always harder as a young employee starting out working your way up. If you, if you look up to the top levels of the organization and you don't see anyone who looks like you acts like you it becomes it becomes harder you know you've got to you've got to get more creative in imagining you know a future path for yourself when you don't necessarily see that kind of literal role model so I think number one for schools, it's it's being aware of that. I think people are starting to talk about it more. Um, you know, the, this imbalance. You know, why why are so many women in the education workforce, but there are, but so few women become superintendents? So I think it starts with being aware of that and looking to find and showcase role models for all of the young women. Um, you know, when I when I started at Presence Learning, so yeah, I think I mentioned earlier in this conversation conversation that the majority of our workforce, so our, our clinicians, our 1500 clinicians are 97% women. Um, and our, our full-time, our corporate employee base is majority women, it's about two thirds women as well. Um, when I started with the company, I remember going to, you know, some of the provider conferences. I was at a speech language pathologist conference and um, was meeting a lot of the women who worked for us for the first time. And uh, one of them just came up to me and hugged me. And she said, there always should have been a woman running our company. Um, you know, look around, look at, look at who you're leading. And so I think that, you know, people need that kind of relatability and inspiration. And if we can't, yet give it to them, you know, in every organization, I think it's important to showcase the women leaders that we do have and to, you know, make sure that all of the women in all these organizations kind of see them as models of what could be. So, so that's, that's one thing, but I think from the perspective of, uh, of a male leader of a male superintendent, you know, one, one of the first early readers that I gave, gave my book to and previews was, a former superintendent of a couple of large districts and you know, he gave it to him and said, I'd be interested for you to read this. Tell me what you think. He actually read it like this, the day that I sent it to him and called me back. And he's like, I wish I'd had this when I was a superintendent there. I just realized now how, how much I overlooked or assumed or didn't ask about what a woman's goal was. He's like, you know, I think I thought I was being considerate if a woman, you know, had children, started a family, I think I thought it was being considerate by giving her less to do or, you know, not not burdening her or pressuring her to take on more. And he's like, and now you've kind of turned around my thinking that you should never assume that a woman wants to, you know, sort of de-ambition her work once once she has children. She she may want to keep going. She may want, you know, she may be fueled to do more. Um, you have to always, you know, assume that a woman wants to work 
when she's there and that she wants the bigger opportunities and let her tell you if if she doesn't. So um, I think that, you know, in the school context is really important to be mindful of, of don't don't assume what what she wants or what her ambition level is. Assume that she wants more until she tells you otherwise. Oh, I think that's cool. There's any number of things that it brings to mind. I mean, you know, one of the one of the things, especially, well, I, I guess I can't say it that way, but it, it, I start to say it tends to uh, be more obvious in uh, bigger school systems. But the, uh, you know, one of the things is that uh, uh, if you were to look at uh, high school principalships, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times they're more of a path to a superintendent's position, and uh, primarily because they look at all the different. Uh, and before I say this, all my colleagues who are listening, I am not, <laughs> I'm not downplaying any other level, all right? <laughs> because we all have this important role that we have with the community, the kids, the families, mm-hmm. everything. But there, are a lot of times with with school boards and such, there's a there's a thought that uh, you know the next superintendent is going to come from the high school level, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting aspect of that. And so, uh, um, you know, I, I think that. Uh, you see some of that happen where if they're not uh, if they've not been through the high school or uh, not even considering that that you know the, the the different levels and the importance whatever they the role they play um, I think one of the coolest things is when you run into someone who has had uh, experience at all three levels <laughs> which is yeah even yeah and and in other you know I've also heard that um, you know something something that superintendents can do to cultivate develop talent is to think about the variety of experiences not not only in the grade levels but in the departments that you know a well-rounded experience might involve some more time in operations or purchasing or finance finance or, you know, some of those areas as well, whereas a lot of women uh, get, you know, put on on the more academic track and don't, don't, you know, they're not given the opportunities to round out the experience that would be needed to get them up to that, that superintendent level. So that's something as well. When you think about the opportunities you give people, it could be, you know, it could be any of these different contexts, but just making sure that there's opportunity to round out experience instead of you know pigeonholing in one in one lane yeah it's it's cool you know you said something and and it, and that's it's you run into it at all different levels and so i'm just sharing through the education world because it's been my my career the different areas that you see where people you know make judgments based upon um they blame it on the level or something like this and it's like really are you really looking at the person's ability because abilities because of the different stuff they've used or just made a choice (laughs) in judging you know it just gives you something to say oh didn't do this and you know it's just it's just interesting i have uh, um and i think that's some of those walls or some of those barriers or some of those different you know not hitting that right ladder or shoot Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the game yeah yeah um, and interfere with the progress which you know it's interesting what you said uh, about that superintendent who previewed your book um, because I could see that happening too. You know, when you have, uh, um, I, I could really see that happening. The idea that uh, um, thinking, oh, I was, I thought I was doing well by, uh, you know, not giving them these assignments or these other ones mm-hmm. or whatever. And and uh, so interesting. <laughs> I, I I just think that your your whole book is very, you know, thought provoking and gets people thinking about the decisions they make and how they, you know, how, how you could do better. And so um, I do agree with him. It'd be cool to have had the, your book a little, little while ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you. Good stuff. The, uh, uh, 
here's another question. I got, if you were a keynote speaker at a career-focused conference and you were only to talk about something that you mentioned in the appendix of The Good Boss, which in the appendix of The Good Boss, you have how to find your good boss, what would be something that you would tell the audience? Okay, so I is I have the most practical piece of advice for this, and it is the most important for somebody trying to figure out: is that could this be a good boss for me? You know, do I have a good boss? Do I not? You like you have to like your boss. You have to enjoy their company, and I think this is something that you can figure out in that first job interview. You know, there's people that you that you click with that are interesting, that are interested in you. Um, you know, how does that, how is that conversation experienced? Are you comfortable? Are you actually comfortable being yourself in that conversation? Um, you know, the, all of that, I think can be measured to some degree. And like, did I, did I enjoy talking to that person? And would I like to talk to them again? And uh, so many people don't have that dynamic with their bosses. I remember being, you know, a young early employee and like I had this one boss where, you know, like he'd turn and come, come down the hallway in the direction of my cubicle. And I'd kind of, you know, like sink a little lower, lower behind the cubicle walls and hope like, well, maybe, maybe he's not coming for me and um, coming to talk to me. And then, you know, breathe a sigh of relief. He turned into somebody else's office. Like that's, that's bad sign. Um, But, you know, a lot of people can, relate to that experience. And it's like, if you don't, if you're not hoping to get a chance to talk to your boss, if you're hiding, if you're trying to like, you know, take the side door out of the office instead of going, going past him or her, there's, that's not the right boss for you because, you know, you, they, they should be talking with you. They should be listening to you. If they're, if they're not hearing your ideas, if you're not comfortable sharing them, uh, it's going to be very difficult to get to a point where that's a productive, you know, boss employee relationship for you. So, so all of that, I think we could just sum up and say like, you know, make sure you like your boss. That's excellent advice. I love it. That's good stuff. (laughs) The, uh, you know, Kate, before we, uh, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? So you can go to kateeberlywalker.com or you can find me on really any social media, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. I'm CEO author mom, where I'm posting lessons, ideas, events tied to the book. Um, I'm very easy to find, but yeah, the, the website kateeberlywalker.com is great. And if, if you're interested in picking up a copy of the book, it's available at all your favorite bookstores, wherever books are sold. Very cool. And I have links to your websites and your social media spots Great. and all that good stuff. And, uh, and uh, um, so people can find that in the show notes. So good stuff. I, I got two last questions I'd like to ask you that are just questions I'd like to ask my guests. So the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Well, that is a big question right now, right? I think that the answer for me is when I feel that overwhelmed feeling, which we all feel, maybe we've all felt a little bit more in this year of the pandemic, I stop what I'm doing and go find something that will make me happy, relax me. Sometimes that is going and, you know, hanging out with my kids. Sometimes it's doing yoga. Like, I think when you have to recognize that moment, I think the, the, the thing not to do is to just push through and just be like, well, I've got to keep going and I have to get this done. I definitely advocate for stop, stop what's making you stressed. Know that you can only do so much and that, you know, you'll, you'll get back to it and you'll get it. Yeah. You'll get it done eventually, but take, take, 
an, af- an hour, an afternoon, a day, whatever it takes to really breathe. Um, so that's, that, that's my piece of advice there for sure. Excellent breathing. advice. Breathing is good too. I, I'm a big advocate for taking deep breaths. Very cool. That's excellent <laughs> advice. I love it. I love it. That's, uh, and, um, it's, I think so many people need different ways, you know, need some advice about handling <laughs> these types of situations. Last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? There's so many teachers that, that have, you know, really, really made an impact. There's, there's one, one that I'm thinking of that I've been thinking of more now, you know, in that vein of, you know, sometimes people do something for you that you don't even recognize until later. Um, I had, when I was in high school, I, our high school guidance counselor, Mrs. Panati, who was also the lead faculty advisor for the school play um, was, you know, someone that I got to know. I, I worked on the play. I loved working on the school musical every year. Um, and I was always in the behind the scenes, you know, I was the costume manager one year and then I was props the next. And she pulled me aside when I was heading into my senior year, my last year on the play. And she said, you know, I can see that you really love the, you really love the music and you really love the performance. And I think that you have a lovely voice. I've heard you singing along behind the scenes. I think that you should try, I think you should be on stage. I think that you should try out uh, to perform. And I didn't. I, you know, I said, you know, oh, thank you, but that's, that's not me. That's not me. I, you know, I, I, I have all these ideas for, you know, co- I want to do costumes and props and I've got all these ideas to do it even better this next year. Um, I'm going to stay behind the scenes and I, and I didn't try out, I didn't do it, but, you know, just knowing that she saw me that way, cha- you know, changed me a little and it perked me up. And, um, you know, I do actually let my, you know, my, kids would accuse me like you might as well have done it because you're always singing and dancing now like you you know you probably should have gone up on the stage um but you know someone like that who who you know kind of pushes you to try something different and maybe sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. Um, you know, many decades later, when I was writing this book, I, I told a very different story about a manager I had earlier in my career who similarly pulled me aside. And he said, you know, I think that you should change jobs. And I think that you should try running this division of, of our company. Um, because I think, you know, you should get on a path to become a CEO. I think you're going to be a really great CEO one day. And I said, Oh, thank you but that's not me that's not that's not what I'm gonna be and um you know again I declined it I didn't do it of course years years later I did end up on that path and he just saw it in me before I saw it in myself and I think that it's a really amazing thing to look back and and see these people who go out of their way to try to show you something about your potential that's very good very good so Kate I gotta ask you before we you know before we go because I've seen lots of this kind of popping up Rule number nine, we got to make sure we talk about it. And rule number nine is titled, tell her you see her potential. Um, Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's very tied to those, those anecdotes that I just told. I think that that's something that, that managers need to do. You need to be looking at the skill and the talent. You need to be looking ahead for the people who work for you to, you know, what could they be capable of? Where, where should they stretch? What could be next for them? And, um, you know, they don't know that you see them that way. They don't know that people see them that way. If, if you don't tell them, 
sense. So I think it's really critical. It's a, it's a critical part of being a good boss to, to make sure to tell people that you see the, their talent, that you see the opportunities for them in the future. And to then ask them, you know, what do you see? Could you see yourself doing this? And let's, let's figure out together how to get you the right experiences. I love that. Love it. The, uh, Kate, thanks so much for talking with me today. The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work is a book that every manager and leader should read. You have excellent thoughts and ideas to share, and I can't thank you enough for talking with me today. Thank you. It was fun. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators podcast by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.